What up artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity and you know maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. So Allison, <laughs> Allison is of eraser header fame. Um, she's a coding queen, a graphic designer, an instructor with over a decade in the field of all things web design. She's also a very talented illustrator and public speaker. Welcome, Allison Knott, to Art Pays Me. Thank you. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Um, so your name came up in uh, my interview a few weeks back. With, with Liz. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, you know what? She would be a great guest because you, when I first met you in the, uh, it was at NASCAD Portfolio Day, you were, uh, I don't know what you call it, moderator of the panel? Yeah. Yeah, that panel of us to, to scare all them young kids straight about making it in the art world, right? That was a fun panel. I enjoyed it, that. Thoroughly. It was. It was. It's like, yeah, this is. these are all the things you need to think about before you actually go to school and, and be scared that school is actually not going to prepare you for all of those things. So, mm. uh, um, yeah, so that, that was cool. And But I really have been interested in, like, I've been – connected with you ever since and I've seen you at different conferences and things and then you seem to be dropping tidbits of of knowledge on your social feeds that I I really vibe with oh thank you yeah yeah I mean all just power right and I'm really big on mentoring and sharing knowledge as much as we can so if sometimes if I can do that online with just little tiny things that would have helped me helps others I'm all about like it's it just takes your thumbs type it in hit send right put it out into the world yeah so where did Allison grow up I'm a Halifax native believe it or not so I grew up outside of the city in a small community called Brookside and from a very early age like about age 12, I was resolved to attend NASCAD, our, our university, and live downtown and have a beer at the Split Crow. That was my dream <laughs> when I was 12. <laughs> and I did it. I did that. I, I moved up into Halifax when I was 18. And I went to art school. I majored in graphic design, minor in drawing, also self-taught myself web design. And then when I graduated, I said, uh, I, I, I really love Halifax. And I told myself that I would give myself five years to be the change I want in the city or leave. And I've been here, well, that was 2007 and I'm still here. So and making change and helping people make change. So I love this place. I love the creative vibe here. So I'm really glad I stuck with it because there's opportunity in the city. If you know where to find it or know where to ask for it, for sure. I, I freaking love that. Uh, I actually remember having a similar conversation with my friend Bo, who's a, also a NASCAD alum. And uh, this was probably 10 years ago or so. And we both kind of had this moment where we like realized the potential in this city and was like, you know, let's just be part of the change. Like, let's just take it to where it can possibly go. And uh, that, that's, that's, that's incredible. Um, 
So when you were at NASCAD, how, like, what was that like? Did you, do you find other people had that same kind of drive as you or were you like, you feel like you stood out? <laughs> it's a funny thing because I, I always wanted to be a graphic designer, I guess, as a kid, I didn't really realize that, but growing up, there wasn't a lot of direction in that area. So I was a little girl who liked art, but also liked to code. And it wasn't really encouraged to like go into the web because the web wasn't really a job you did. So my options were basically graphic design or robotics because I was like, I was a girl that liked computers. I used to play with our, our PC at home and I was a really geeky kid. So when I went to NASCAD, I was really excited. I really bloomed because I got to hang out with other people who had been the outsiders growing up in the weirdos. But even inside of art school, it was fascinating because where I did design, but also drawing, I got to see both worlds and how they would silo. So I would be in design class and I'd hear people say like, oh, those smelly Peyton students, you know, and they never shower and they're always taking all the food out of the, out of the, uh, out of the, uh, the, the food bank that we have. And then I would go to my drawing classes and they would go, oh, those designers selling out. They don't know what they're doing. That's not art. They're taking it too seriously. And so, uh, you know, I was an outsider who went to the outsider school and still got to watch the outsider Olympics happen, um, which I think built a lot of good character and made me more empathetic to what's going on with the creative scene. And I sucked at design when I was at NASCAD. I was like the Ed Wood of the design class. And it really wasn't until my last year when I had some amazing instructors, namely Frank Orlando and Rob McDonald, who really encouraged me to push in a certain area and sort of said to me, you know, you can learn a lot of skills, but you've got some leadership chops and we're going to help you grow in those areas. So NASCAR was wonderful. But I would say my prime time was the last year when I had the right instructors who had the right, it was just the right culmination of of being supported in the ways you needed when it's like the last year, you're like, what the hell am I going to do? Four years, am I going to get a job? So, um, and I blossomed into a designer. I, I, I was a late bloomer, but I figured it out and got a job after that. And I've been doing design ever since and design thinking. So NASCAD was great. Just an interesting Petri dish of what happens when all the art stars are in one room. <laughs> Who's the yeah. art star of the art star? <laughs> That's true. That, that is true. Um, shout out to Frank Orlando, by the way. I, he taught me as well. Yes. Um, so you're you're basically a beast. I've been seeing. I'm a beast. <laughs> I got a lot of hair. Yeah, I can say that. In a good way. Uh, meaning that, like you said, a lot of these things you're self-taught. Like you know about SEO, you know about WordPress, you code. You know, like you're very good with the sales and marketing stuff, and you're. Oh, thanks writing that you do on your on your site and other things is very good so like how does how does one become this because you could have very easily said I don't know I just want to rely on whatever skills I have and then Mm. go from there and then if it doesn't work then I'll go to do something else but you you took another path Right. I mean, I will fully admit that's my mom's doing. Uh, My mother raised me to never be a sheep and follow, but to be a goat and follow my own path. Literally, that was drilled into my head. Uh, We didn't have a lot of money growing up, so it was very easy for kids to make fun of who I was because we didn't eat better than other people. We, you know, we didn't, 
our clothing didn't come from brand name stores. It was secondhand. And my mom noticed that I was really into my own head and drawing. And so while the kids were playing tag, my mom was building my confidence as far as doing my own thing. And that that's, that's a skill. And that's an important thing to have in your life is to be different because different people had different perspectives and they empathize better and they're good problem solvers. So I was luckily to be nurtured um, in my own household to um, embrace being weird and different. And so um, when the internet came along, I mean, like back ICQ days, I was building websites and like, I was a really big Teddy Ruxpin fan, um, which was really not cool to talk about when you're, <laughs> when you're 12, but online at 12, 13, 14, 15, but online, I ended up finding a whole community and that drove my passion for coding and still keeping in the art sense. So when I went to NASCAD, I learned the things I needed to learn, but I did notice that there was this shift happening where print wasn't as important as it had been and technology was fastly approaching. This is like 2006, 2007. And I was seeing peers who had graduated not getting work because they weren't flexible enough to take in what was happening in the digital world around them. And so I kind of was like, okay, that's a good sign to be different again. I already know how to code. I'm going to go down that path. And then as I started doing my own business as a creative person, um, I had two options. I could float in a sea of everybody who has the same rates and offers the same skill sets, or I could find the problems that really need to be solved. And so that pushed me in the direction of, I could have just been a graphic designer. And I'm not saying that just a graphic designer, I don't mean to downplay, that's an immense skill, but I could see this gap of people who need someone to build them websites and discuss the how and why, instead of talking about how pretty it's going to look, because that's not how successful design is not an aesthetic design is communicating and articulating a problem for people who can't do it. That's why they hire you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think that just drive all the time for me is I'm always trying to find the gaps of where people aren't. And if I know how to solve that problem, I go there and that's where I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable being in a weird spot. It's the weirdo. I'm just a comfortable weirdo, a beastly comfortable weirdo. <laughs> do you find that it's been challenging um, translating what you do to clients? It's getting better. You've caught me at a really great time because I'm actually rebranding um, and I have 80 days to do it because that's how long I've held on to my new, my new business name. But because uh, what the hell's an eraser header? Like, oh. <laughs> right? No one, it was kids, it was cool in 2007 to have a moniker when you were a designer, but nowadays, no one, and I know how to look this stuff up, no one searches eraser head or design. They just think I'm like a David Lynch fan or something. So I'm in the process of, of rebranding, and that's a really good exercise in focusing on what you solve for people. So it's not even so much about explaining to people what I do, that's what I used to do, and that would often result in clients that need help but maybe can't afford me and I only mean that in a way of like I need to you know I need to sustain a living and I have a certain you know I have certain things I want to do uh, but when I started thinking more about telling people what I solve it's starting to yeah. get easier I think and people and they get it it's like I don't you know I wear shoes why I want to look cool I want to be comfortable like I don't really care if it's leather uppers or you know all that kind of stuff like what are they for me will they fit my big ass feet and do they have arch support Right. Like, what are these shoes going to do for me? So that's how I've helped myself a bit is is really understanding 
what my purpose is and then how that purpose links up to people's needs. Because we all need stuff, right? We're, we're a society of needs and we need each other to fix and help each other. Yeah, that is a very great point. It's something that I've been exploring as well. Uh, this idea of, I know a lot of people will come to you and say, I want a poster. Um, but a lot of times they don't actually need a poster. They need right. a certain problem solved that some, some other solution could, um, would be better for them. And I think our, our services are better are doing a, a more value uh, to them and we stop and assess from that perspective. But when you do say, okay, yeah, I'll give you a poster, that's when you kind of limit yourself in a, from a financial standpoint too because mm-hmm. you no longer are giving that strategic value. You're just a hand at that point. Uh, right. It, it, there's space for both, but it's just if you got a chance to wiggle in there and and show your value. I was thinking about yours and Dion's, um, uh, I think it's a couple of episodes ago, and talking about that space of problem solving. Mm-hmm. Once you have that in place, maybe they want a poster that time, but I kind of found my momentum started happening where I would still explain the larger scope. Even if they needed the poster at the time, guess who sure. they come knocking when they come back for that next step or they see the value in that, right? You, you got to educate at every stage of the game, sow as many seeds as you can of knowledge. And then some people are going to tend those flowers. They're going to pick them and they're going to come right back to you because you're that florist that sold them those seeds in the first place. Yes. So there's another common thing that I'm noticing in what you're saying is it's this community idea, uh, maybe a community of weirdos. Uh, <laughs> so another thing that popped up in Liz's conversation is this idea of attending conferences. And she, mm. she said that you were very much uh, an inspiration for her in, in that area. So how do you feel about conferences? Oh, again, catch me at a good time. Uh, I love conferences. Uh, they have, number one, they've taken me out of my out of my regular space because usually you have to travel to one so you're you're a stranger in a city there's something exciting uh, for some creative people at least for me a change of space can really get my creative snap you know synapses popping as it was mm-hmm. uh, and so I, then I would see other creatives articulating their story to others so then I was learning okay cool like this is how someone succinctly explains themselves in 45 minutes and this is how they show their work and that gets you inspired um, and then even more importantly um, some conferences had such profound effects on me uh, a couple years ago I went to my first word camp which is like a conference for people who use WordPress it's an open source huge community thing I never been I've been to creative conferences like FITC before but I've never been to a a conference focused on one product in this case WordPress and I was floored by how accessible it was and it was all run by people in the community and they taught so much and it left me so inspired this is in Montreal Mm. I came back to Halifax I started Halifax's WordPress meetup which is like four years strong now Um, and then I ran the uh, the only WordCamp conference in Atlanta, Canada for the last two years as well. So, I mean, this is easy for me to say, I'm the kind of person that likes to run things. I'm not expecting everyone to go out there and create the thing that they want to see in the world, but I do believe you got to support the thing you want to see in the world and you have to support it when it's a small T thing, not a huge giant, you know, 400 person, five track, three day event. So to me, conferences are creative, they inspire and they can lead you down a path. Like, I don't think I'd be where I am today if I didn't go to that WordCamp. 
Absolutely wow. not. Yeah. I don't think I would have seen how, how community and who you are for me. I mean, we talk about it all the time and you see it in podcasts or you read about it, but I think that whole concept of being yourself and being true to those around you, it just word camp turn that on for me. And I translated it from WordCamp. I brought one to Halifax and I was like, okay, well me as a designer design thinking, how do I pull in community? And E3C, the East Coast Credit Collective is also a facet of that as well. This need to, to support and create space, a nice easygoing space. So unlike a conference, E3C, which is now seven years old in Halifax, just like a million dog years um, for anything to run to run in Halifax, you know, a, a bunch of weirdos together is the is the other side of the coin, which is uh, creating space that's not crazy whiz bang, you know, swag and all of that. It's just people hanging out once a month and really getting to know and deepen their friendships and who is actually doing stuff here instead of on social media or at conferences. So you know, small T stuff is really important too. I think to grow as an artist. Got you. Actually, I, I have to attend at least one of those. I don't know why I haven't at this point, but... <laughs> I hear that a lot, and now you know what? Not going to hold it against you, but we're every month. We're seven years going. we got at least another seven years left, so I'm, I'm sure I'll see you at one of them, but they're super fun, and it's amazing the breadth of people who attend. Like, it's so varied. we got designers and coders and writers and illustrators and TV people and podcasters and just wanting to hang out with others and just drop all the facade of, of, of fancy likes and work, you know, works in progress and clients and all of that and just being real together, nerding out about pens and movies and beer. <laughs> Yeah, I I miss being able to have community of people who I could just be like, you know, pixels, <laughs> you know, just right. the mundane stuff that designers and artists do. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a relaxed setting, right? Like we totally, when I started E3C, I knew that uh, not everyone is like myself. So if it doesn't come across to any listener, I'm a crazy extrovert. Like I just live <laughs> off of the energy of others. And if you can't make something happen, I want to help you make it happen. That's sort of what I, that's just the way I was. You know, when you're, when you're a loner kid all your life, I'm paying forward all the years where I had no one really there to hang out with and that kind of thing. And I'm just like making up for it in this time. But I realized that with E3C, artists have this, not all, but a lot of artists are like, you know, forever. Like I am the, I am the introvert artist and I must, I must create by myself in my artist cave. And then I will slink out of my artist cave and beg for money from my art. And I just don't really believe in that kind of thing. I, but I do believe that people can be intimidated or they can be introverts in that they're not used to going to a social setting where it's not really well or um, uh, organized as far as what you're going to be doing. So E3C aims to break down those walls so that mm. if you're a crazy extrovert or introvert, you can come out and just know that everyone going is on the exact same pace as you. They are a regular human being with a passion for articulating the world in some creative fashion. That's it. I'm hanging out. Yeah. That's okay. all we ask, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's what we're, that's the level. And people come and they, they don't always know each other, but then, so I see a lot of time with E3C, you have someone and they come once and they stay for about an hour and they talk a little bit and then they leave and they come back next month and they have their sketchbook with them. They don't open it. 
but they have it there. And then by the third time they come back, they have the sketchbook open and they're talking to people about their art or they're getting tips from somebody. That could be one way that it works. Some people just come and they don't really want to show off the work because they've been artistically blocked. They just ask people's advice. How did you get unblocked? How did you deal with, you know, feeling like you, like you suck at everything? And so that's how we get people to come back and discover that community isn't this thing you buy a ticket to get a lanyard and then put, get a bag of swag and sit in and listen to one person talk. Community is about getting to know people one-on-one in a natural organic setting. Right. Do you ever find like when you attend bigger events, uh, some of these design stars are approachable or do they kind of fit right into that same community aspect? It's, it, it runs it runs the spectrum right i mean i've been to uh fitc out in toronto is probably one of the biggest ones and it's a great one if you want to go out and see visual artists so it, it like tech kind of combined but it's big stage it's a big capital t thing and uh i've approached some of my heroes and been heartbroken that they were total dicks uh. or you know or assholes and i've also approached some heroes and been completely humbled by how humble they are um and sometimes i find at the conference space i mean i'm a speaker as well i get it you're busy you're trying to see everybody who wants to talk to you afterwards but one of my neatest experiences was after a big FITC meeting there uh, or a uh, conference. I got to meet Mr. Bingo. You ever heard of this guy? He's no. crazy cool. He's, he's a, he's a UK guy. I believe he's in the UK and he, he makes these beautiful little line drawings, but like they're always screaming obscenities and he draws them on postcards and he, he needed to fundraise for something. So he made a rap video in scratch in like three weeks. That's hilarious. And on stage, he's a hyper little cocker spaniel dog. And he's like, he's like Pee Wee Herman live. He's insane. And then I got to catch up with him just by accident at a, at a after party for FITC. And I mean, his stuff is, is acclaimed. He is a big star and he ended up being like the sweetest person. I hung out with him all night at, uh, at this event. And I'm not saying that to name drop. I'm saying that he legit, wanted to hang out and discuss art and you kind of forgot that he was a speaker and I get it again as a speaker you got you know you 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 get some alkaline from that and you want to be seen as the as the mentor of that but you know for him it was just like I'm going to be like him I always remember Mr. Bingo when I'm when I'm doing conferences I want to make sure I'm always just like him who told me the other side of his stories too right like you know my my GoFundMe campaign looked awesome but man I didn't see my friends there were strange things going on in my family like he'll talk to you if you ask him so for me um it's getting to know those people. I think no matter, I think some of us were the same person, no matter what environment you stick us in. Some people kind of morph depending on the environment that they're in. Mm, got you. That's, that's fascinating because um, I'm always afraid of meeting my heroes for that very reason. Uh. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, they're human too, right? Like I'm sure yeah. there's people ideas of what you're like. Yes. And then, you i know people have ideas of what i'm like and they meet me they always think i'm yeah. taller for one thing i can't help that <laughs> <laughs> well everyone who meets me they're like oh you're much more of an asshole than i thought you would be um, <laughs> i like you i find you <laughs> contemplative i like no, it i'm joking <laughs> joking joke. i i do have resting bitch face though uh that's that's one of those things i i struggle with i try to smile more to be more I know, but that's got to be some cultural stuff going on too, right? Like Abs- you, yes. yeah, right. Like to me, I see, I see, quote unquote, you're reaching bitch face. I'm thinking he's thinking of his next T-shirt project. That's what he's doing. 
<laughs> Either that or he's like, what time did I tell Allison we're having this podcast today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm also the most disorganized person in the world, um, as Allison's finding out. Um, I've been told that because of that, I'll never be successful as a business owner. So one thing, I, I, I am disorganized, but I am also very stubborn. And mm-hmm. I've decided that whenever someone says I can't do something, I will do it. <laughs> No, it's true. I mean, I would say most of my closest friends that I would say are successful. And to me, success used to be like, I can tell you how much I make in a year or like, Mm. I, I do capital T hustle. I've changed my opinion on that. Now, of course, I'm in a much more uh, stable place income wide. So I'm allowed to take a breath and look around. But I found that people I count as successful are people who are making art a lot and they're happy with their art or if they're not happy with it, they're happy with the process of getting better. And to me, that's successful. Most of those folk, man, had someone tell them that they couldn't do something and they were like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Watch you me. and me both. You and me yeah. both. I, I had a, a moment where I stopped and reflected and I thought, you know, ideally what, what I want to do. And it, it just, one day it just hit me. It was like, well, you know, if perfect world, I just paint all day. And I'm like, well, why can't I make it a perfect world? What's stopping me? Exactly. <laughs> you know? uh, so I've really started to think along those lines as well. Like, um, you know, our life is what we make it. it. It it really is. And, you know, you can have all the money in the world, but then you get sick tomorrow and the money can't cure your, your illness. So you might as well right. uh, enjoy your life while you can, right? Um, yeah. So one other thing, you've been involved in teaching. Yes, yes. Not anymore from a, from like a, I get the term, I get to say I'm a professor anymore, but I used to. (laughs) I still mentor though, and I, and I do training for clients and I do like training like conference talks. So yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'm curious. (laughs) I've been interested in, in teaching, uh, like officially and I'm, I'm, I'm curious how is it really time consuming? It's incredibly time consuming and I am floored by how little we pay our teachers. Gotcha. Um, and this is my experience and my experience only, but I have taught um, both at the college level and also evening courses at the university level. Okay. And um, it depends on what you're teaching but uh, we are moving towards this model where no one, everyone's a casual person. No one's even part-time. So in my experience, that meant um, being union paid without union benefits. And it also meant you were only paid the hours you taught. It was not, it, that was inclusive of prep time, uh, working with students and marking. And uh, for me, uh, it was interfering with my day job, which is I'm a consultant and I can do, I think, I really miss the students. I, I really miss uh, being kept on your toes. I miss their curiosity. I miss getting back to basics and re-explaining it. But what I don't miss is the fact that I was so underpaid for what I did that I was resenting teaching because I was unable to help my clients because I was unavailable like three days a week. And again, I'm not hinging this on money's important, but I, I was real, it was a real eye opener of how much more prestige I got in the community when I started teaching at the college and university level. And yet the monetary compensation totally just ruined that. So people were like, I've been doing the same thing, Dwayne, for like 
12 years. I started teaching at NSCC and an ASCAD and people were like, oh, you're a designer. I'm like, you kidding me? I've been doing this like since before. Like, I like, are you kidding me? And that, I mean, that was nice. I guess it, it probably boosted my brand, but my, my, my wallet and my time and my sanity was like, you cannot possibly do this all at the same time. Of course, I run to meetups, I run my own business and I was teaching, but I'm telling you, man, when I stopped teaching, my business got better. So it's, I'd say teaching is great if you want to go at least part-time or full-time, but for me, I wanted to do a good job teaching and it ate up a lot of my resources and my own, like my, the the term spoons, like I just couldn't, I had nothing left in me after teaching all day. And that's not a fault to not doing it, it's just I was really surprised at how the system is set up to have to churn teachers out and students left twisting in the wind because we're like I gotta go I can't stay I'm so sorry like I, I need to get back to the rest of my to my other items right now mm. I, yeah, I, it's a tough yeah, I feel that I I came close to to doing a teaching gig at one point and it was similar like the the pay I had to turn it down because the pay didn't work out because they yeah. did include that prep time and my wife's in education, so I know how important the yes. prep time is to actually making the lesson worthwhile. And, you know, ultimately, you may be doing a service by teaching, but you still need to pay bills and, and eat and, and live and all that kind of stuff. So, so I mean, like, I'm thinking, so here's, here's this, is, this is me again trying to find those gaps. So I started thinking, okay, well, I enjoy teaching. But maybe uh, institutional teaching doesn't have to happen. But instead, I do webinars. Uh, uh, when I do conferences, like I'm kind of like the geeky gal on stage doesn't talk jargon. So that's kind of been my shtick when I do conference talks. Um, and that's what they want from me. So my, 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 maybe, my, you know, I would say to you, if you have a passion for it, there are other ways to teach people what they need to know without, it, without getting institutions involved. There's nothing wrong with institutions, but there are other ways as well. So I would say maybe you got something to teach, put together something or approach a nonprofit that could hold you space to do it. There's other ways to bring, to plant those knowledge seeds than going to the giant, a giant Walmart uh, green greenhouse, right? You can take a big old seed bomb and just throw it down the road as you're driving by and still right. have plants grow. <laughs> cool. So we talked about this um, getting paid bit. Do you, do you feel that? How, what's your opinion on creatives and, and payment? Oh, I don't think we can cover this in, in a split in a hot minute, but I will say that um, uh, I grew ovaries the last couple of years when it came to being paid as a creative. And of course, I do exist in a space where it's still technically commercial art. So I'm a designer. Uh, I've, I've pinned myself towards, I know they need a website. I know they need a good brand because in a gold rush, I don't want to be the miner. I want to be the chick selling the shovels, right? Because my, I know I'm always going to have that option. But when I mentor... Um, emerging uh, female designers. When I'm at E3C, when I'm when I'm when I'm drawing as Draw Strange and talking to other illustrators, I think we really got to be honest with artists that we ourselves are perpetuating this concept that art doesn't have value, and it's two pronged to me. The first one is not understanding the basics of business. And the second is not understanding how to articulate in an open and welcoming environment what you're worth to others. I see a lot of lamenting. I see a lot of of sulking. And that's fine. 
But when I see lamenting and sulking online, people, when they're on Twitter and that, you're hurting your own brand and you're creating this us versus them attitude. So I think charging what you're worth comes down to sitting down and like saying my art is worth a price, but my art's also worth my time to learn how to price properly instead of just throwing a price out there or just taking the first offer that I get. So there's education that needs to happen and a healing of artists where we acknowledge that the world thinks that we have no concept of how to charge what we're worth, but we do, but we also have to do the legwork to know how to price. And that's the part people get stuck on. They don't want to do the legwork. They're afraid to. Um, I believe in transparency. I tell people all the time when I make what I teach. I tell people all the time what I make per hour as a consultant. I'm like, I'm going to tell you what I make because if we're all transparent, we can't be hiding this stuff, right? Women have a paid uh, a wage gap. Minorities have a wage gap. So I'm just like, well, I'm a white woman, but I can tell you what I make. Here, where do you want to be? Let me help you with that. I need a soundboard because I need like, some horns and applause and all that kind of stuff. That was, that was excellent. That was excellent. Yeah. Um, speaking of women, like, do you, have you seen any improvements in your career for, as far as how women are treat, treated in this space? I, you know, that's a, that's a great one. And I'm, and I'm, it's a, it's a, again, it's another big topic because I've, I'm not inside the startup sphere. I just go after uh, small business that already have existing websites and brands and I'm pivoting them, I'm rebranding them. So I'm digging into their data and working on it. And I work for myself. So I get, basically, I get to call the shots of who I work with. Uh, definitely there is more conversation going on about women in design. Cause I mean, women traditionally, um, since I've been going to school, it was mostly women. I don't know what it was for you and your communications. It were a like lot, you were, yeah. Yeah, it was more women. And so we remain in that role. Uh, there's a lot of women in social media doing social media management. Uh, in technology and web, you can kind of get some women in design, but often uh, developer, like when I taught at the, I taught uh, UI UX at the community college here in, in Halifax, and I didn't have a lot of girls at all. And often they didn't, you know, they, the numbers got even smaller by year two. So it's changing. I think that um, that's a good thing. It's ever evolving. I'm not the woman that's going to get up on a panel for women in tech because I'm, I'm a bit of a bulldozer. So I just, uh, in my, and I'm thinking like women in tech panels are awesome. I, I'm, not a, I'm not an absolutist, as you probably can tell. I don't believe you do this or that. I believe in gray area and I believe that everybody has different attitudes and aptitudes. And so we all have to do things a little differently to solve a problem. Like it takes many different solutions to solve one problem. There's not one true solution. Mm. So, so I, I don't like to go on panels of women in tech. Uh, I prefer to be a woman in tech living and breathing and, and bulldozing anything that happens to me that I see as a disservice to women in tech. And also I mentor women in tech so that they are, they, they see me lead by example. So things are changing I'm not the best person to ask if I have a wealth of knowledge of it happening, but I'm also the kind of person that if someone gives me something sexist, I don't let it down. Like I will, I'm like, I guess that's what I'm a beast. Like I'll just run you right mm -hmm. over um, and prove it. And usually I find um, power and money talk. So I have ways of just saying, you know what? I know you feel that way, but you can't afford me anyway. So let's just, you know, let's move on <laughs> to the next thing, right? Like put, punch it where it hurts or um, uh, visibility is really important too. Like, that's really great that you had a panel of women in tech, but uh, I don't see any women in tech in your business. So what business did you have being on that panel? 
So mm-hmm. those are the sorts of things that I'm interested in is visibility, I think, um, speaks louder than any um, argument. I mean, this is, again, this is just my, my opinion on it is visibility is really important. I'm seeing more of it and I'm just like, let's keep going. Let's keep going with this to the point where we don't have to even have this conversation, right? Of like, how many, did you reach your 20%? Like, and, you know, like, um, you know, then I was going on with Halifax right now with the construction work for um, African Canadians right here yeah. here in Halifax. It's like, just get the visibility going. God damn yeah. it. Let us have space. And then it becomes natural. And then we don't have to have this space conversation in maybe, I don't know, 80 years. <laughs> yeah. Years. Yeah. Like I, I, I was interviewed about that. And yeah, I saw. I was like, I know him. Is it construction? Oh, I- <laughs> like, yeah, no, uh, not not quite construction. Um, but like, I people were tagging, were showing me like they're like, Dwayne, don't read the Twitter comments because you're going to be disappointed in in society. Right. <laughs> uh, and the thing with like, I didn't get to get in. It didn't get shared in the interview, and I said it, but I pretty much alluded to the same thing: is that at the end of the day. Um, no one wants to be treated specially. No, no one wants special treatment. It's, it's one of those things of acknowledging that, okay, society has, has not helped us. It's held us back systemically. So this is society's way of potentially saying, well, we'll reach back and get you guys on your feet so that we don't need to do this 20% thing. There's no, I, I don't, I wouldn't want that. I, I want no. to, all I want is to be a, f- for as a designer, I want to know that I didn't get a job because I wasn't the best designer for the job. Or I Absolutely. didn't get it because I was the best, period. Right? I mean, like I run conferences and in, in, Word, in WordPress, it was really tough to get female or female identifying individuals or non-male identifying individuals on the developer track. Yes. And we had lots of amazing content come through, but we were having problems filling that gap. And a great thing that I learned was, you know, my background, again, white woman here was like, well, we put out the call and people didn't get in there. So they must not be interested. But then Mm -hmm. I had um, friends and associates um, who are, who are, or deeply uh, involved with minority groups. Like, well, that's not the way it works. You, you need you need Allison to try extra hard to ping everybody and find that space because they're so used to not having that space or they're not feeling they're even up to that space that just putting out the call and going, well, we asked. And so, so I hear it all the time, like, oh, well, we would love to have a female art director, but we couldn't find any. I'm like, did you, you couldn't find any or you didn't try? Like, did you just put out your first call, your friends? It said, well, they didn't show up. Of course, they weren't even, you know, they don't feel like they could show up anyway if they wanted to. So these sorts of things. And, <laughs> yeah. and so it's like trying harder. So for me, I, I think it's right. Like I'm working on bringing a conference, hopefully, to Halifax next year in April. And this is on the forefront of my mind is creating space doesn't mean you got to leave the table. Like Allison, you know, in my case, like Allison, in order for us to create space, you have to leave the table. It's just about adding an extra chair and making sure you do everything in your power to get that chair in there. Yeah. And the right people fill that chair. And then when someone else sees that person in that chair, then they are going to come and pull up a chair as well because they see themselves at that table. Right. I, and as someone who's also been on that side of like criticizing a lack of visibility, I also recognize like what you said, when sometimes we need to be active, it, people need to work a little harder to reach us because for a long time, I didn't feel comfortable Right. participating in some of these spaces and then I start to realize when I 
started to say, well, it's okay to be the only black dude in the room. Um, it's okay to feel like that. It's, 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 it doesn't have to be an uncomfortable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to realize that people did start to reach out to me more and say, hey, Dwayne, you know, I met you at this thing and I realize you're into this and blah, blah, blah. And maybe you might be. So sometimes it's just a matter of once, once we, um, we do get a chance to be at that table, we more opportunities to be at more tables present themselves. Absolutely. And others see you, right? Like you're at that table and you're just, you're you, all you can control is what you do and what you feel. So you're there, you're said like, you know, you, you have felt strange being, being the only black man there, but like, unbeknownst to you, you've got a sea of other, of other creatives who see you and they see themselves in you so at any chance I'm always trying to tell people even if you're not an active mentor or an active um, influence on somebody you never know by you being there your presence is telling someone else that they can be there too and that's a huge power that we don't even know we have that's what that that's to me another power of visibility I mean I didn't see any any like even going to the reason I went to NASCAD, which was a great chance, but like I there were no women making websites that I was aware of online. I didn't see the visibility. So how could I even know that I could be there if I couldn't even see myself in there? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very much a male thing to say, oh, you're a web guy, you know, it's it's all it's it's something that uh women definitely have had to um work to get credibility and respect in so oh big time big time it's like oh well all you're gonna do is give me like a script font and gold leaf and i'm like are you kidding i want to see your google analytics i'm not leaving this room until i know how much you made every week and they go whoa we're not going to talk about pretty i'm like pretty is wonderful but pretty form follows function right so function first guys function first i love it i love it so on that note, what do you have? Any you said you got a new conference coming up. Can you talk oh, about that? Or I can talk about it only in little strokes. Um, but uh, you want to be the change you want to be in the world, and I think that we have such a wealth of people here in Halifax who are hungry to dive deeper in their knowledge, and you got to go to Toronto, Montreal, or Boston to see that in action. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very much involved in the uh, solopreneur slash, you know, uh, entrepreneur scene here in Halifax. And we have so many awesome conferences. We got blog jam, social media day, pod camp, you name it. But we don't have a creative conference here. When they do come here, um, they're, they're great, but they tend to come from away. Nothing wrong with that. But they're modeled for a Toronto audience. And Halifax has exactly like one-eighth the population. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're a microchasm, right? And so I am um, in E3C. I'm seeing gaps in what we can do to teach people uh, how to be successful as artists in their business. Uh, your podcast is immensely important in that sphere. It's why we we talk about it often at E3C. But I kind of think it's time for Halifax to have its own grassroots from here uh, conference that's going to really inspire people. So I'm working on a name. Uh, I'm aiming for it to be in April 2020. But other than that, I can't say too much right now. But it's uh, it's another one of my passion projects to be the change I want in Halifax. And I think that we deserve the exact same space to see people encourage us and uh, challenge us as creative individuals, just like we get here with all of our other business ones. But for creatives who are creatively driven and want to do more with their creativity damn if you will have me i would love to be involved 
Um, Man, I mean, you kidding? I got a short list and your name's on it. (laughs) (laughs) Also, your podcast. I'm just a creeper right now. People are wondering, why are you you looking at my stuff? Like, oh, no reason. I'm not running an event or nothing. No, 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 no. I'm just interested in your work. I mean, I am, of course, but I think it's high time and I think we can do it without it being a $400 event. I think we can do it without it having to be like a cat, like I want to be capital T, but not have to be like a big giant production. I think we got to get back to the core, which is we've got creative people who are hurting and me or who are stuck or who feel like they're, they're burning a hole in the carpet, rolling around in circles. And I want to help getting them boom, speeding down the road with what they want to do creatively. That's my goal for 2020 to bring to Halifax. All right. Oh, and you're speaking at uh, social media day, Halifax. Do you want? Oh, I am. What was that? You want to plug that at all? I'll plug it. I'll plug the conference first and foremost, because I know some of your listeners there might be thinking, well, I know how to use Instagram. I know how to use Facebook and that's all I have to do. Man, again, I'm a full believer that if you're an artist, you need to go to business spaces and see what's going on there. Be the weirdo that's not in the same um, circles as others. But Social Media Day Halifax is coming up on June 21st and I did the rebrand for it. So that logo and coloring is all me. Oh, Um, nicely done. Yeah, thanks. And uh, um, it's uh, it's $195, I think. But to me, like I have spent more going to Toronto or Boston than I've paid for accommodations. And I've had, uh, you know, schmoes tell me like, you can get 10,000 followers if you just do this one thing. Um, it's not about that. It's about local success stories, teaching others how they became successful through social media um, in actionable ways. So I will be there. Uh, so not only did I did the brand, but I'm also talking about everyone's favorite topic, uh, talking about Google Analytics, uh, the number one social media tool nobody, everyone avoids because <laughs> it's so important. So I'll be, yeah, analytics are really important. Artists, likes and retweets don't mean anything if they don't go back to your website and you don't know what they liked and you don't know how long they're on there. Um, traffic to your website doesn't mean anything, but Google Analytics can tell you stuff like, do Facebook people engage with you better or do Twitter people engage with you better? Or does it turn out that LinkedIn people will buy your stuff, but Facebook people won't? I'm going to show mm-hmm. you how to do that. That's, that's where I'm, that's my jam is you did all this hard work. What does it mean? The, the internet was made to be measured, but most people are afraid to hold up the art stick. Absolutely. Cause they want to, they just want to be they don't want to un- not confirm what they believe, I guess, maybe. It's tough. Yeah, and I get it. Everyone's talking about big old high numbers, but numbers are different for every single person. Like, uh, you can have, have 10,000 unique visitors to your website, but if they're only on your homepage or that one podcast for half a minute and your podcast is 45 minutes long, then you, you're not successful in my eyes. Like, either either the topic wasn't interesting or it was uh, misdirected. They thought it was about something else or the quality of the podcast wasn't there or, you know, if they don't like the podcast, did they buy something or not? So these are the things I'm interested in when we work so hard as creative people to put our work out there. Don't be beholden to the algorithms of social media, man. You got to know what it translates to you as an artist and what matters to you because your art deserves to know that information. It might. I want to ask you a dumb question. Um, sure. a, a dumb Google Analytics question, and if if this is something that you got, I have to pay you for, please stop me. And you don't have to answer. <laughs> no, 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 man. I, I would love to hear because I'm sure probably some other <laughs> listeners would want to know the same the same answer. Go for it. What is a good bounce rate? It depends. So a bounce rate is for those for the for the uninitiated is uh, think of like being at a party and you turn around and I'm gone because I bounced. 
Like yeah. you were like, I thought Allison was here and she's gone. Shit, does she hate the Kool-Aid? Like what's going on? Like she didn't she didn't like the punch I made? What's going on? So uh, bounce rate depends. It depends on the purpose of the page. So if your page, let's say if a bounce rate happens once someone leaves your site completely, but some pages you wouldn't want me to continue along your website. So let's say that's a page that lands to your free download. Mm-hmm. I have no real reason to stick around, or maybe it's a, an FAQ or an answer to a problem that you know people would then want to go off and fix the problem. If your bounce rate's high, the, the page did its job, right? A thank you page afterwards, um, like your contact page. Like if someone fills out your contact form, you have a lot of contact form fill outs, but you have a really high bounce rate. I'm fine with that because the page did its job. Why would they continue on? You don't care. You want them to call you or to connect with you. They say it's got to be between they, uh, between 50, like anything under 50 is good. When you get into 50 to 70% is high. Uh, but lots of things can account for that. So if you have a lot of pages that naturally people would stay on, then that's going to, you know, bounce rate's an average. So you have to really, I'm getting deep down in the weeds here, but you don't just look at a rate. You have to measure it against something. Okay. We call those, yeah, we call that the second dimension. So bounce rate, again, it's so, that's why I like teaching this stuff. Because I have to ask people, like, what is your site doing? And what is your rate? But what does that mean? Like the numbers don't mean anything. There's a real life context. You can't see me here, but I'm waving my hands all over the place like a weird octopus. It's a context to what you want to do there. So bounce rate numbers, man, don't mean anything unless I know what the point of it is. Uh-huh. So like if I got like a, a, a site with tons of pages saying go this, or, go this way and go that way, if people are actually clicking on those things, then a high bounce rate doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing? Right, because technically that isn't when the bounce rate's counted. A, count, a bounce rate doesn't get clicked on the little clicker of Google Analytics until they leave your site. So if they're traveling through your site, they haven't really triggered that. But uh, when you look at a bounce rate overall, I look at it per page, and gotcha. then usually I will counteract with, uh, okay, I want to look at Haligonians age 25 to 45 and the bounce rate of that page. So I'm not really looking at that page as a high bounce rate. I'm going, well, 45-year-olds are leaving this page like it's on fire. Mm. But the 22-year-olds aren't. What's, what is about that page? So they, you know, again, this is the beautiful the design thinking, right, about this. isn't so much, you know, it's a number. It's what's causing the number and gotcha. what's the appropriateness of that thing. There's other – bounce rate's a good one, but there are so many other better, better things to look for in analytics about your site that's going to give you way better knowledge than just the bounce rate. Just to, I think it's just called bounce. Everyone remembers it. Like, oh, bounce. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot easier to think about than like average session duration. Beep, boop, beep, boop. What's that? Yes. Yeah. And this is why you need to have a meeting with Allison and get her to (laughs) to sort your web business out. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. I love it. We learn so much. And it's it's fun. I guarantee it's fun because it's not about numbers. It's about your work, right? And, And people and who are these people and how can we how can we continue to serve those people or how can we encourage people we want to come over? I use those numbers and it's like a beautiful geography map or, you know, a bell cloche. French is coming out of me now. I'm getting <laughs> derailed here. But anyways, beautiful math, making beautiful lines and art. And from that art, you will sell more art. Lovely. It can, it's okay. We can do it. We can do it. <laughs> numbers we- are okay. Numbers are pretty. Numbers are great. Numbers are aesthetically pleasing. We can, we can work with them. Yeah, it's just that's another way. Not the type of it's typography in a way, right? 
I think so. Again, artist man, numbers aren't a bad thing. Like their math is beautiful and math is music. Like we can do this. It's it's totally in our wheelhouse. Don't let anyone believe that you can't because you're an artist. You're not supposed to understand business. That's bullshit. Absolutely not. I I'm I'm throwing. I've I've decided that I'm throwing that out myself. I want to be both. And uh, you know, I have a daughter who is actually good in math and art. So like the whole thing of oh, I'm not good at art. Now you can be good at everything. Trust me. Oh man, she's got some skills coming up then. (laughs) I mean, I know you guys will, but like nurture that right because like the that duality, walking two paths, to me is so so important in today's society man walking multiple paths because more empathy comes from that better understanding and better problem solving the more paths you can walk the better yeah absolutely so where can my uh people find you on the internet well until i rebrand you and it won't worry because i'll have it all redirected properly but you can find me as eraserheader.com I know, guys. What the hell is that? Just deal with it. So eraser like a thing on a pencil, header like a thing of a website. Uh, if you're interested in E3C, then we are E3Chalifax.ca. And as the other side note, if you don't want any of that, but you want to see really weird naked drawings, not of me, but of other people, then I moonlight as a really gross illustrator. And you can find that at Draw Strange on Instagram. Oh, Draw Strange. I didn't know if yeah. you'd want to talk about Draw Strange. I, I don't mind talking about it, but it's it's just a bit of a, of a mind twist for people. But yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's my outlet. That's where I don't care about numbers. I don't care about strategy. I, that's my downtime. Draw Strange is my, is my precious little child where I draw boobs and, 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 and um, genitals. <laughs> they're, they're fantastic illustrations. Uh, oh thank you they're a lot of fun i like them i gotta do more of it i've been so focused on my business right now that poor draw strange just like pulling at my leg pant going like when will you draw a booby <laughs> <laughs> please draw a booby i will see and again again darlings like you can be multiple things i used to think i couldn't do draw strange because i did a racer header but i'm mm-hmm. fine in my tribes for both of those so it's working out yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> So thank you very much for, for coming on to Art Pays Me. I think my people will get a lot out of it. I certainly did. Um, shit, I might need to get your consulting services for me. <laughs> my, my master plan worked all along. <laughs> I just go on podcasts so I can, so I can prospect. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Allison. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Art Pays Me podcast. Thank you to Lange Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets, and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at artpaysme.com or at artpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.